In the following live session recording, Levi Skipper, former senior pastor with Concord Baptist in Claremont, Georgia, and now evangelism catalyst for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, discusses the topic, Preaching with Power and Purpose. Preaching is hard. What if there were a way to ease the stress and improve your delivery at the same time? Join us as we discover ways to be more purposeful behind the pulpit. Sunday is coming. Are you ready? Let's join Levi now. So everybody's got a handout, yes, and uh, grateful you guys are here today. And we're excited about what God's doing through the life of Georgia Baptist Mission Board and uh, excited really about the whole evangelism play that we're fixing to be running in the days ahead. So there'll be one evangelism consultant in each region and uh, what we'll do from that really is it will give us an opportunity to really be on the front lines in every single region throughout Georgia so that we can actually listen to you guys and hear what kind of resources that you need so that we can create machines or resources that actually meet the needs that you have. Now, we'll simultaneously be creating resources that will kind of go out as evergreen resources uh, that you can use at any point in time. And uh, we'll, we'll be doing that as well. But I'm excited and pumped that Randy is uh, a part of the team and really going to be a part of making a huge difference in the days ahead. And y'all know Randy, right? Randy's an awesome guy. I love him. I think he looks better than Thomas Hammond personally, but you know what I mean? So he, he mentioned something that we did at Concord. And so I'll, I'll throw that in because I don't know necessarily if I have that in the notes here uh, for today. But at Concord, one of the things that happened to me is I was invited to go and speak at a missions conference. And so I had put the message together and I was going to go preach at the missions conference. So everybody in the room at the missions conference were, they were all missionaries and uh, how I prepared the whole message completely changed, right? Because I was thinking these are individuals who are out there on the front line sharing the gospel. What can I bring to them that's going to be a source of encouragement and also equip them at the same time? And so I put the message together. I, I preached the message. And then as I was driving home, uh, maybe you guys do this after you preach. Sometimes you're like, Lord, where were you? You know what I mean? Or, or, or you say, Lord, thank you for giving me that opportunity to preach. And that was kind of my prayer as I was headed back. And uh, I just remember saying, you know, Lord, I really enjoyed doing that. It was kind of fun. And it was as if, you know, I don't want to get mystical on you. The Lord didn't speak, you know, audibly to me, but it was as if the Lord said, you should preach like that every weekend because every single weekend, uh, every believer in your church is a missionary. And that, for whatever reason, was a paradigm shift in my own head. And it changed how I sat down and prepared sermons. And so what was unique about that is I would sit down, I would write the message out, but then I would come back and I would kind of ask the question, now, if I view every believer in our church as a missionary, how would I restate these applicational points? And how can I continue to drive that uh, DNA in the life of our church family? And uh, anyway, so that really did. It changed how I preached. And, you know, obviously we hang on to that scripture uh, that teaches us as a pastor, we're called to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. So uh, that's what we sought to do and had a phenomenal time. Another thing that was kind of a, a game changer for us was a mental shift of no longer viewing success as how many people we can get inside the building, but rather viewing success by how many people we can get outside of the building, which is what led us really to a multi-site model. But it was, you know, we're sending missionaries all over the place. Just had an awesome, awesome time. So today, in an hour and 15 minutes, hopefully I'll be able to fit it all in. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's so much time. Uh, I'm going to talk about preaching with power and uh, preaching with purpose. 
Uh, it's an interesting topic, especially since I'm preaching the last session. So y'all are going to be coming in there expecting both power and purpose, which, uh, you know, don't get your hopes up too high. But what I will tell you is uh, I wanted this to be extremely practical because I know you guys are pastors uh, just as I have been for so many years. And uh, you're working on messages all of the time. So I'm probably not going to get so much in the nuts and bolts of how to prepare a sermon because y'all do that all the time. But what I do want to talk about is this idea in a practical you know, session of how to preach with power and purpose. So if you can see your notes, all I did was uh, create something I think pretty simple for all of us. And uh, I just asked two key questions. How do we experience power in our preaching? And uh, y'all can see P-R-A-Y, y'all know what that spells, right? Pray, y'all can respond back to me. And then how do we experience purpose in our preaching? Y'all see that, what does that say? Plan. Yeah, plan. All right, so that's all I've got for you today. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate you coming out, but yeah, no kidding. But what I thought I would do is really what I, I, I kind of put it all together and I said, okay, I'm just gonna make an acrostic using these words and I think that will help guide our discussion uh, as we move forward. So before we really jump right into it, I know Randy's already prayed, but I'd love for us to pray again because I don't know if the Lord listened to him. I'm just kidding. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful. Lord, I love these guys who are giving their lives for the cause of the gospel. And Lord, it's always a source of encouragement in my life just to be around individuals who have a passion for you, a passion for preaching the gospel. But most importantly, Lord, not just so we can be you know, necessarily impressive in our speech. God, we just want to see lives changed. And for that, Lord, I thank you for these guys. I pray that today would be a fruitful conversation. And as we talk through some practical steps on how to preach with power and purpose, Lord, we trust that you'll guide our attention uh, directly to you. And Lord, it, it is all about you. It's none of us. And for that, we're grateful. So help us today and we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first question, how do we experience power in our preaching? The P right there stands for personal devotion, personal devotion. Now, the preacher does not possess power within himself. Y'all are aware of this, right? None of us do. We're not that impressive by any stretch. But a preacher does receive power from God and from God alone. So a preacher needs uh, the touch of God upon his day-to-day -day life, not simply in his pulpit ministry. Every single preacher needs a daily standing appointment with God. And here's what I would say to you, right? One of the things that influenced me as a teenager uh, when God began to call me into the ministry is I had the opportunity to not only be overwhelmed by someone who was preaching uh, expositionally, verse by verse, which just changed the way I studied scripture at that time. But I also got to be with this pastor in a one-on-one -on -one setting. And as a result of that, I realized that the man in the pulpit was the same man when he was outside of the church. And that made a massive difference for me, right? Because most of the time, not most of the time, a lot of times pastors are completely different. Uh, they're, they're different people. In the pulpit, they're one way. Outside of it, they're a different way. And that never bodes well. And ultimately, what drives our life change as pastors really is our personal devotion with the Lord. And Jesus modeled this for us very plainly in Mark's gospel. In Mark chapter 135, Jesus said this, or it talks about Jesus rather. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went away to a secluded place, and he was praying there. Right? So the day prior to that text being written in the life of Jesus, was an overwhelmingly busy day. He was 
standing all day long uh, in a local synagogue teaching. Uh, during the middle of his message, he was interrupted by a man possessed by a demon. Right, that goes that goes well, doesn't it? And uh, he rebuked the demon. He cast out the man, uh, cast the demon out of the man, and then he continued to teach. And, and then following this, Jesus was asked to pray for Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So he traveled to her house. He prayed for her, and she was healed. And then the crowds began to bring to Jesus all that they knew in their village who were possessed by demons or who were sick. And Scripture says the whole city gathered at the door. So again, you imagine just the day of Jesus. He gets up, he goes to the synagogue, and he's teaching. He's teaching demon possession. He casts out the demon. He goes to Peter's mother-in-law's house. Now everybody shows up. Everybody's pulling at him. Everybody wants him. So you can imagine as the evening came how exhausted Jesus really was, right? So we know he was God in the flesh, but we also know that he experienced life as a man. So at the end of the day, no doubt he would have been ready to lay his head down and uh, sleep. However, you know, the next morning, which I think is interesting, that crazy busy day, you would think, all right, Jesus, sleep in. You know, just relax this day. But the scripture says while it was still morning, while it was dark, Jesus actually got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place to pray. So the amazing thing is that the conversation with God the Father in the life of Jesus was a normal aspect of his life. That he was always in communion with the Lord. And he sat down those specific times in his life to spend alone just with his heavenly Father. So when I look at just that text, Mark 1.35, and I think about your personal devotion and my personal devotion, uh, I just come away with a cute, uh, a slick little uh, action statements here. But one, all of us need to set a time of uninterrupted conversation with God. Don't you all agree with that? So he, Jesus chose the early morning. Uh, the point I want us to see is that he chose a time, really. All right, so we all need to identify a time that we can habitually keep to spend alone with the Lord in a time of prayer. And this is the amazing thing, right? This is what really builds in both passion, purpose, and power in your preaching. is your personal walk with the Lord. But then the second thing that I jot down just looking at the life of Jesus is we not only need to set a time, but we also need to set a place where we can talk with God. So Jesus left the house. He went to a secluded place. Uh, this was such a good place that Simon and his friends actually went out looking for Jesus and they couldn't find him. Right? So this is a place where he is all alone. And the point I think we need to take away is that we need a place where we can get alone just to talk to God. A few years um, Ago, I was invited to uh, tour In Touch Ministries, which was a ton of fun, right? So there were a group of us guys, and we were kind of walking around. Now, Dr. Stanley wasn't leading that tour, but there was another person leading the tour. But we had an opportunity to go into his office. And if y'all are like me, I like going in pastor's offices, right? And one of the things, I, I want to see what commentaries they got, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, so anyway, we go in, and I'm looking at everything Charles Stanley's got, and I'm thinking, I got all those same commentaries. Dang, I wish I could preach like Charles Stanley. What's wrong with me? But anyway, so I'm looking at all of it, and then uh, the person leading uh, basically the little tour group just said, uh, all that is awesome, but the most awesome thing is right over here. And they walked over and opened up this door. And we all peered in, and it was literally uh, just an empty room, had one picture on the wall, and had pillow on the ground. So I was like, what is this? And they said, this is literally his prayer room. This is where he spends the majority of his time. And then they said, and the reason that the pillow is there is because his knees are going bad. 
Are y'all listening? Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, I mean, I walked out just feeling terrible about myself. Right? I was like, man, I, I need to really start praying more. But that was a huge challenge in my life. And you think about just the ministry of, of Dr. Stanley. Uh, I think, you know, I guess it's okay for me to say this, even though we're recording. You probably are not overwhelmed with his preaching. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's, it's simple. It's very straightforward. He's kind of talking and not necessarily preaching as you and I may consider preaching, but he just has the touch of God on his life. Yes, sir. And then when you ask the question, where does the touch of God come from? And then you're carried to that room. You're like, that's where it comes from. Right? And you don't have to be dynamic to preach with passion and preach with power. You just got to be with God. And that's what Stanley uh, really is. And that was a huge help for me personally. So in, in my house, um, I have, I've got uh, really three places. I've got a chair in my bedroom when I'm sitting at that in the morning. That's where I spend my time alone with the Lord. I've got a chair in the living room, and then I also have one on our back porch. And uh, I've been going to the back porch now because the kids are getting up early, you know, and everybody's getting ready for school. But that's where I want to go. I want to sit alone with the Lord. And for me personally, uh, whenever I spend time alone in my prayer chair, uh, and I'm studying the scripture and, you know, obviously, and I'll just throw this in for free. When you and I pray, that's us talking to God. But when God talks to us, he primarily does that through his word. Right. So this is where I'm communing with the Lord and spending time with him. But I want to do that completely separate from any sermon that I'm putting together. Yeah. And the reason that I do that is if I'm not careful, I can spend time alone with the Lord and only be thinking about what I should be preaching. I can't wait to tell people this. You know what I mean? And that's like, no, that's not. This is me with the Lord. I just need to. So literally, if I'm preaching through the book of Acts in our church, I mean, I'm studying some Old Testament scripture personally. That's what I'm walking through. Something completely, totally separate just to help me compartmentalize and focus my attention on my relationship with the Lord. You with me? We want to make sure because most pastors uh, love preaching, but we've got to be careful that we don't love preaching more than we love Jesus. That's good. All right. So we got to love the Lord first and foremost in our life. And then from that, the Lord begins to, you know, you walk with him. And when you walk with the Lord, people realize that people see that. And again, you know, setting a place where you can talk with God. So I guess I would ask, do you have a do you have a place that you meet with God? And then do you have a time that you seek to meet with God? And then I put in here just a third little statement. Spend quality time in God's Word. Uh, Choose a book. Walk through it very slowly. Um, And like I said, I strongly encourage you. Your devotional life is different from your sermon prep. Keep those separated. And then, uh, you know, for me, we kind of have a a ritual that I walk through. Ritual sounds weird to say it that way. But the way that I spend time alone with the Lord and I've taught this. Uh, you can see this information, by the way, on nosweatdiscipleship.com. But it kind of describes uh, the way I spend time alone with the Lord, but it also describes how I disciple others to spend time alone with the Lord. Nosweatdiscipleship.com. It's all free, it's so I'm not making stuff. any money. You gotta do it. But what, here's, my, here's my inclination, right? And uh, this is all free. This isn't in the notes, so i got an hour and 15 minutes. So what's huge for me is... Uh, when I studied the life of Jesus one time, I took a legal sheet of paper, legal pad, and I wrote down every single thing that I saw Jesus do and every single thing that Jesus said, which took up a lot of paper, by the way. Right? But that's what I did. I walked through the Gospels. All I was doing was writing all that stuff down. And then when I was done, I took all the sheets of paper and kind of laid them out in front of me, and I began to look at some commonalities in the things that Jesus was involved in. And as a result of that, kind of started, you know, breaking it down, compartmentalizing. This kind of goes with that. This fits here. This is similar to this. 
And once it was over with, it was coiled down really to these four major uh, aspects of Jesus' life, which Jesus was involved in worshiping, reaching, growing, and serving. And I know growing sounds funny, but uh, the Bible says he grew in wisdom and in stature, right? Although he was God in the flesh, he became a man and humbled himself and walked in obedience, Philippians 2. You know, so, but I'm looking at this and then as I thought about it, I was like, okay, those are four major things that Jesus was involved in. These are the four things I need to be involved in if I'm going to follow Jesus. So the reason I keep doing this is the way that I ended up kind of settling this in my own life was your heart inside your chest has four chambers, right? If one closes up, you've got an issue, right? Spiritually speaking, our heart has four chambers. Worship, reach, grow, and serve. So I wanted to create a time when I spent alone with the Lord, where I was focused on those four aspects. So my worship portion in my time alone with the Lord is my prayer time. Uh, I teach the Acts model. I use the Acts model oftentimes, which is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, right? And then the reach section, I ask four questions of myself on a normal basis. Who am I seeking to reach through the gospel? Uh, what am I going to do about it? Who, what, when? When am I going to do it? And where am I going to do it? Right? Those are four W questions, I call them. And then I go up to my, I've got it on my little notepad this way, that's why I'm doing this, but I go up to my top right-hand side of my notepad, and that's the time of my growing. That's me listening to the Lord. And I use the SOAP method oftentimes of studying Scripture. If you hadn't heard of that, the S stands for Scripture. The O is observation. What does the text say? Not what do you want it to say, or what does it actually say? And then the application statement, based upon what it says, that's what the A stands for in SOAP application. And then the P is prayer. So when you write down your prayer there, I write down my prayer, I'm literally praying into my life the application that I just wrote down, which was based upon the observation of the scripture that I was studying. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to pray God's will for my life. Y'all are down with that, right? You cannot go wrong praying God's word into your life because you know that's God's will. So every single time you pray God's word, you're always praying God's will. So that's kind of my method of spending time alone in the word. And then the serve aspect, is just asking the question, who needs to be reminded that God loves them? Because God expresses His love to others through your service. You with me? So I ask that question, and I just do who, what, when, and where again. And that's my time alone with the Lord. So when I get up from my time alone with the Lord, I've spent time in prayer. I've thought about who I'm trying to reach with the gospel. I've spent time in the Word. And I've thought about who I need to serve as well. So that's been a huge, huge deal uh, in my life. So that's how I seek to spend quality time with the Lord. Um, and I will tell you, when you spend time alone with the Lord, personal devotion, it is always going to be reflected in your preaching ministry. Every single time. It's also reflected in your preaching ministry when you're not spending time alone with the Lord. <laughs> right? So, authentic passion in public proclamation is fueled by authentic passion for Jesus in private devotion. Did y'all get that? Say that again. Uh, yeah. I probably should have figured out how to say it shorter. Authentic passion is public proclamation or in public proclamation is fueled by an authentic passion for Jesus in private devotion. In other words, if you want to preach with power publicly, you, you get power from Jesus privately. And that's the thing too. It's not preaching with power isn't who can yell the loudest or who can stomp the hardest or who can sweat the most. That's now, sometimes a guy will preach with power and passion, and that's reflected. But that's not the gauge, right? Some of the most powerful sermons I've ever heard in my life were preached by some of the most humble voices I've ever heard in my life, right? 
uh, Tim Dowdy. Do y'all know him? Yeah. Tim Dowdy at Eagles Landing. First time I went to a conference when I was 20-something, and um, Tim Dowdy was on the, the preaching lineup. And I thought, who, the, who in the world is Tim Dowdy? Right? So then I go in there, and honestly, I go in there thinking this ain't going to be much. And Tim Dowdy gets up, and he has the most calm spirit that I think I've ever seen in the pulpit, right? But every word that came out of his mouth was like a ton of bricks on my heart. And I literally just thought, that was that guy preached with passion, he preached with power, but it wasn't reflected in how you and I often think of power. But it was just as powerful. Unbelievable. Here's another uh, couple of good statements for you. Dave Kraft, in his book entitled Leaders Who Last, he says, we have to remember that this idea called passion and power is based upon our personal relationship with Jesus, plus a clear purpose for what we are called to do. Out of these, God ignites passion within us. Passion that influences for the long haul is not man-made. Passion is a God thing, not a personality thing. A guy named Michael, uh, or Marshall rather, I can't read here, uh, Ferdinand, never even heard of the guy, but this was a great statement. The most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, D.L. Moody was once asked how he had become so engaging and such a passionate communicator. Uh, he responded by saying that before he was to speak, he would go out into a field by himself and ask God to set him on fire. That's a good prayer, isn't it? I love that. Somebody, somebody talked about Spurgeon one time, and they said, uh, that man sets himself on fire, and everybody comes to watch him burn. Right. So that's pretty sweet. You know what I mean? But I think what I'm getting at is if, you, if we want to preach with power, we first of all got to get along with God. We have to have a personal walk with the Lord. That's absolutely huge. So if you're here today and you've kind of skimped on that or you're kind of given up on that or whatever the case may be, you're kind of allowing that to be pushed to the side, uh, the Lord brought you here to tell you stop, right? You, you need to make that a priority. And I, I do it as an appointment, right? It is an appointment with the Lord. Uh, you know, if you set an appointment, you don't want to not show up. You know what I'm saying? So uh, we set the appointment, we get along with God. All right, so that leads me to the R uh, in pray. Uh, and the R stands for a real need for God's power. So as preachers, we should never assume that we got it going on in our preaching. Uh, The moment we think we can preach without the power of God is the moment we need to stop preaching. Y'all agree with that? Um, Realizing our genuine need for God makes us desperate for His touch in our lives. So Paul the Apostle expressed his need for God's touch in his preaching ministry. Here's what he writes in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I love the the authenticity of Paul's letters, right? I mean, he just says, when I came to you, I was scared to death, right? But the reality is, I don't want you to put your faith in me. I want you to put your faith in God who has all power. So we've got to remember that when we're preaching, it isn't about persuading people to be like us or to be impressed with us. Preaching is all about Jesus. When people leave, they ought to walk out thinking more of Jesus, not more of you. 
Our adequacy in preaching is not in ourselves, but rather it's in Jesus. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. So we have a real need for God's power because preaching in, is spiritual warfare. Would you all agree with this? So you, you don't want to go to war without your gun, right? You don't want to go to preaching without the power of God. It's a spiritual battle we're in. Uh, Anthony George that you just mentioned last week made this statement. I've jotted it down in my notes. Satan unleashes hostility upon those who are preaching Jesus. That's pretty good, right? So you're not only facing a spiritual battle when you stand in the pulpit to preach, but there's a spiritual battle waging against your soul throughout the entirety of the week. Have you ever noticed on Saturday it's real difficult to get along with your wife? It's because you're preaching Sunday morning. Spiritual warfare happens in the context of relationships. Are y'all with me? And I'll tell it to you like this. So in Ephesians 6, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But before he makes that statement, if you back up in Ephesians, what is he talking about? Relationships. He talks about our relationships with one another in the church. And then he talks about your relationships in the home, husband and wife. And then he even talks about uh, parents and children. And then he goes into the workplace, masters and slaves, employers, employees. And then he goes into this, hey, by the way, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against the principalities of darkness. So what is the enemy seeking to do? The enemy wants to divide relationships. And the reason the enemy wants to divide relationships is because the gospel flows on the rivers of relationships. So the enemy wants to throw a dam in every single relationship in your life. So if, if the enemy knows, because he knows you're going to preach tomorrow, he knows I'm going to preach tomorrow, what does he want to do? He wants to interrupt relationships in our lives so that we begin to fight against flesh and blood. And anytime you're fighting somebody who's got a body, you're fighting the wrong battle. Isn't that crazy? So you have to get back and say, here I am arguing with my wife. She's not the problem. The problem is the enemy is trying to divide. Here I am arguing with some church member, and that church member is not the problem. And then when you stand up in the pulpit to preach, there's also this massive war taking place, not only with you delivering the message, but with the people who are listening to the message, there's a huge war taking place. And the enemy wants to distract any way he possibly can. Steal, kill, and destroy, right? That's what he does. So he wants to steal the message, right? Just like the seed thrown in the ground. What did the bird come and do? Steal the seed, right? So the enemy, if you can, you know, uh, spiritually kind of have some spiritual eyes here, he's flying around while you're preaching. And he's looking to pluck the truth from every single heart. So there's all kinds of spiritual battles taking place. Who was it? Y'all help me, man. I probably should have wrote this down. It's in the Old Testament. I've read it before. And, uh, I think it was, uh, it was either Elijah or Elisha. But they had a servant uh, with them. And they were kind of like in their tent sleeping. And all of a sudden this huge army came. Elisha. And Elisha. So Elisha walks out and he's like, oh, we'll be okay. Well, what are you talking about? Because he saw the angel armies, right? So when you and I preach, it's almost like, Lord, help us see the angel armies. That even though we're going to get up and do something that we really don't have the ability to do, we are trusting that the power of God flowing through the Scripture is going to make an impact in the lives of people. That's huge, isn't it? I think sometimes, you know, when I say I think, because I'm thinking of myself, I don't consider the... um, the veracity of the spiritual battle that's taking place while I'm preaching. 
And that's, that's something we've got to start seeing. Right? And I, when I say we, I'm including myself in there because I'm like literally teaching this thinking, man, I got to get better at this. Right? But also, we've got to rest in the fact that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That although we get up to fight a spiritual battle, we not only are on the winning side, but we have the winning game plan. Right? I'm thinking about it too. Amen. I'm, I'm amen in that myself. All right, so. Oh, I, I need to throw this out too. I got this from uh, Anthony George last week. Uh, we're battling carnal resistance of those we're preaching to. So again, we need the real power of God because of the carnal resistance. So there's sinfulness in the pews. Do y'all agree with that? Yeah. Right? There's sinfulness there. There's stubbornness in the pews. Y'all seen that, I'm sure, right? I've seen it when I'm preaching and people just like look at you like you're ugly. You know what I mean? It's like you just keep on preaching, baby. Right? And then there's selfishness in the pews. Uh, there's laziness in the pews. Y'all ever preach and people go to sleep while you're preaching? Oh, man, that used to make me so mad. Uh, and then I read, you know, in the book of Acts, when Paul was preaching, y'all remember? And that dude, yeah, he falls asleep and then he falls on his head and dies. And then Paul raises him from the dead. And he goes and then, back and preaches. Yes, and he goes back and preaches. And I, I remember, you know, uh, telling a church one time, if you fall asleep while I'm preaching uh, and you die, you're going to stay dead. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you did. I don't have the power to raise you from the dead. But anyway, there's, there's all of that going on in the context of our church. Right? So sometimes when you're preaching, you feel like people aren't really paying attention. It really has less to do with you and more to do with the internal struggles they have going on in their life. So just kind of have to keep that in mind. And you keep preaching. I mean, the Word of God is active and powerful, you know, sharper than any two-edged sword. Jeremiah described the Word as a hammer that breaks the hard rock. So we just preach, which leads me really to the A in pray, and that is authority of Scripture. Authority of Scripture. If you want to preach with power, make sure Scripture is the main uh, actor in the presentation. When I first started preaching, I was 23. I was actually 19, but I, I started pastoring a church at 23, which made no sense whatsoever, right? So the church... Um, Matter of fact, it was uh, in Austell, Georgia, but I was in Middle Georgia at that time doing student ministry. And a guy called me, and uh, I answered the phone. He said, uh, "Is this Levi?" I said, "Yeah, this is him. What's going on?" He said, "This is Bob." I said, "Well, Bob, how you doing, man? You know, I don't know who you are." And uh, he said, "We want you to come be our pastor." I said, "Who is this?" He said, "This is Bob." I said, "Who is this? Y'all put me, who is this messing with me?" Ended up really being a search team, but anyway. Uh, Ended up going there, and after I received the call to go to that church and pastor, I remember sitting there going, what in the world have I done? I'm 23 years old, and it was a smaller church, but uh, probably 80% senior adults, right? And I remember thinking, what am I going to tell these people, right? Here I am, 23. I don't even, I mean, what do I have to offer? And uh, God brought me to 2 Timothy 3. Now, I want you to listen. You, you've read this a thousand times, but listen to it. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Right? So real quick, for teaching, uh, that is to show them how to live right. For reproof, that's how to tell them when they're wrong. For correction, that's to tell them how to get back right. And then for training, that's how to stay right. You with me? So all of that, but here's what, here was the portion that God used in my life at that time. 
it was what was said in the verse uh, following verse 16 and verse 17. He said, all scripture is inspired by God. Now here it is. So that, that's a purposeful clause, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So when I read this and I was literally thinking, Lord, what am I going to share with these people that is going to be of value, right? I'm a young guy. I don't hardly know anything. It was as if the Lord said, you share with them my word. And it will be my word that will make you adequate for every good work. So it wasn't me sitting down trying to come up with something to tell everybody that sounded sharp. It was me just saying, all right, God, what do you want to say to them? And what does the word say? And I'm just going to go out and kind of dump my trunk on everybody, right? Here's what God taught me through the word. Here it is for you now. And uh, huge help right there. And I put this in my notes. God's word equips the man of God to be adequate in the pulpit. Are you with me? If, you, if you're not driving your congregation, your missionaries, uh, and I use that word on purpose, right? If you're not driving your missionaries to the Word of God in your sermon, then, then you're not preaching. You might be giving a good speech, but that's not a sermon. Are y'all with me? That's huge. We have a lot of guys who give great speeches, but they're void of God's power because they're void of Scripture. Right? What people remember is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that will not return void. It's not what you have to say. Not what I have to say. So always driving them to the Scripture driving. Um, just a few warnings from our, for our preaching, and I pulled all of these out of 1 Corinthians, so I'm just going to give them to you very quickly. Don't preach with words of human wisdom. You'll empty the cross of its power. That's 1 Corinthians 1, 17-19. That's also Romans 1, 16-17. Here's another one. Don't worry about lack of eloquence or superior wisdom in your preaching. So if you're not some flowery, eloquent, you know, I can bring everybody into a story and wow people with what I've got to say. Don't worry about that. Right? Um, that's not where you put the attention anyway. And that's what Paul said. And, and by the way, because, uh, you know, you think about Paul's ministry, you're like, there's no doubt this guy had to be a phenomenal preacher. That's not what they said about him. They said the exact opposite about him. They said, Paul, when you write your letters, you sound so strong and authoritative, but when you show up, we're not impressed. Right? We're not impressed with your speaking ability. And in that era, by the way, uh, public oratory skills were a massive commodity in people's lives. You know, they didn't have Netflix then, right? So what did they do? They all went around to these stadiums and these events so that they could hear people give speeches. That was a form of entertainment. And when Paul got up to preach, they were not entertained. They said, we're not impressed with you. And uh, I, I love the fact that Paul's like, I'm not, this is my paraphrase, y'all with me. I'm not here to entertain you. And no preacher is called to the entertainment business. We're called to deliver God's word. So don't worry about lack of eloquence. Uh, proclaim the testimony about God. That's what 1 Corinthians 2, 1 teaches. Focus on Jesus. That's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. Uh, you know, what did Paul say? I've, I've come uh, primarily so that you would know Jesus and Him crucified. That's what I showed up for. Preach in humility, 1 Corinthians 2, 3. Be careful about relying on clever words, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Uh, trust the Holy Spirit to demonstrate power, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 5. And then... Um, Kind of the way I put it here in my notes. No one needs to know your opinions. They need to know the truth. Our role as a preacher is to deliver the truth. Right? 
That's huge. Even when somebody, you know, as a pastor, if I walk around, somebody says, hey, let me get your opinion, Levi, on this matter. They'll ask whatever it is. I never give them an opinion. I always take them to the Scriptures. Right? And sometimes I'll even tell them, you know what? I appreciate you want to know my opinion, but my opinion really doesn't matter. Here's what God's Word actually teaches. And then you just point them to the Scripture. And what you're doing by virtue is you're teaching them to go to the Word. Quit trying to grab everybody's opinions and form your own. Just go to God's Word. You got a window there? So here's a, you know, whether you like this theology or not, uh, really doesn't matter in this instance. Uh, John MacArthur. John MacArthur on Larry King Live. If you've never YouTubed that, you need to. Because they will ask him questions. He will never give an independent thought. I've examined it. Every single time, here's what he says. God's Word says this. And he'll quote the Scripture. Let's say Larry King will be like, so do you think Jesus is the only way to salvation? And Larry King will, or uh, John MacArthur will say, it was Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God the Father but through me. He doesn't give any extra. He's just like, here's what the Bible says. I love that. Now, everybody, everybody else on the religious panel, they're giving all their personal opinions. You with me? Like Deepak Chopra, you know. Well, it's my opinion that. It's like, who cares what your opinion is? Y'all are with me? Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, what letter am I on now? Say A and Y. Say A and Just I don't even remember what A was. Authority of Scripture. Thank you. Yes. Because uh, I've got I've got A for the next one in my mind right now. But anyway, so the Y stands for uh, the preacher needs to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. Y'all probably could have guessed that one. Yielded to the Holy Spirit. So we need the empowerment of the Spirit of God to use us whenever we preach. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that text too because uh, what it does for me is it, it really gives you a good imagery because what Paul is saying is, you know how drunk people act, right? You, they, they can't see straight, right? They can't think straight, they can't walk straight, they can't talk straight. But when they're drunk, you know it because of this outcome. It says when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, though, you know what ends up happening? You all of a sudden start seeing things differently, thinking things differently, walking differently, and talking differently. So be filled with the Holy Spirit. And obviously, you guys know this, but that's a continual thing. You're not just filled once. You continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. It's allowing Him to take utter, complete control of you whenever you're standing up to preach. Really, we need that in everyday life. But uh, as I jotted it here, we must die to ourselves in order to be made alive by Christ. So, yes, sir. Only one subject, but just something you think about. Have you ever seen the video of the African American preacher with the bottle of Jack Daniels preaching? Anybody seen the YouTube video? No, but I'm interested. Keep talking. <laughs> you should watch. It's one of the best, one of the best portions of preaching I've ever seen on being drunk with the wine, he's got a bottle of Jack Daniels. He's saying, you know what a drunk looks like. He's got it turned the bottle up. He said it didn't, and he just goes through the whole ramp straight. You do it. Preach with the Jack Daniels while we look them up. Yeah. yeah. You know, everybody's going to do that after this. I'm right? telling you. That's right. And, and They'll be like, what did Levi say? He said, John MacArthur. No, no, Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels. <laughs> That's right. It's good. I'll check that out, man. That's cool. I would say... Um, and this, this may sound awkward, but I'll, I'll try to explain it. The last thing that your church needs is for you to get behind the pulpit. Yes. Right? You 
are a dead man. What we need is the Spirit of God and the life of Christ being lived through us. They, they need to see Jesus when we deliver the Word. So, that being the case, what do we do? We offer up our body as a living sacrifice. Times of prayer before preaching may include full-out uh, prayer of offering to the Lord of our bodies. Right? And um, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've done this before, where you just kind of go through a list of your, your whole body that you're giving over to the Lord. Lord, right now I just... I give you my mind, Lord, I give you my eyes, I give you my ears, I give you my mouth, I give you my hands, I give you my feet. You're just, you're just going through. My whole body is yours. Use me as you see fit. So power in our preaching requires that we pray. I think you guys would agree with that, right? So now we shift to the idea of preaching with purpose, and uh, that's the acrostic plan. What time is this group over? Yeah, 20 minutes. Oh, good. All right, so... Um, I'm going to give it to you kind of the same way. So the P here for plan stands for planning retreat. Now this is going to get hopefully very, very practical for all of us. But the goal of a planning retreat is to sketch out an entire year's worth of preaching. Uh, this is going to enable you to do a couple of things. Become extremely focused throughout the year on where you're seeking to lead God's people. And secondly, it helps create margin for creativity and purpose in your messages. So the way I encourage people to take planning retreats is go away by yourself. Uh, I encourage at least 24 hours, 48 hours if possible. Uh, Baptist retreat centers are available to you. You can call. Some of them are free. Some of them are reduced prices. But just go. Get along uh, with the Lord by yourself. Uh, unplug from current events in your life so that you can concentrate. Put your phone aside so you won't be constantly bombarded with messages. Give yourself a window of time, maybe in your day, on a planning retreat to kind of check your phone. But don't allow it to just sit there by you the whole time. Here's what I tell people they need when they go on a planning retreat. You need your Bible. Y'all are down with that, right? Um, I, I take a computer that has internet access, a uh, yellow pad with listed Sundays in the left-hand column. So if you can kind of imagine what I do before I go on a planning retreat, I've got a yellow legal pad. And the far left, I'll have uh, the first, Jan uh, first Sunday in January written down. So January the 3rd or whatever. And then I'll go down to the second Sunday, third Sunday. I'll put them all in a line and group them by months and kind of give a little space in between each month. And I'll do that all the way through the entire year. And what it does is it gives you an opportunity to look at the whole year uh, whenever you're seeking to plan out the year of preaching. I encourage people to take local school calendars with them. So whatever county you are in, take that school calendar with you. So when I did this at Concord, we were a multi-site, so I had to get one from Hall County, one from White County, one from Lumpkin County, and one from Habersham County, and meld them all together to figure out when the, the weekend holidays were gonna be for students. Uh, very, very helpful. Then also church events calendar. You'll wanna know what's going on in your church. Uh, and then your personal vacation weekends. And I, I always encourage whenever you're planning out the year, start with that. Go ahead and write down when you're taking your vacation. Uh, you're not an awesome pastor because you preach 50 weeks out of the year or 50 weekends out of the year, right? You're, you're crazy is what you are, right? We're in this for, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So you want to be healthy. And I will tell you this, that was a rebuke in my own life that I received from somebody, right? Because I was preaching 50 to 51 weekends a year. And uh, Jojo Thomas, yeah. love him like a dad. Yeah. He said, Levi, you got to stop doing that. When are your vacations? I said, I don't know. I said, you need to go ahead and figure them out before the year starts. 
He's our associational director. He was also a member of the church at Concord where I was pastoring and just a massive help in my life. He was also the one who challenged me to sit down and uh, plan an entire year of preaching out. Was I'd never- hard? Was that hard the first time you did it? No. So, but I was of the opinion it was going to be. Yeah. So JoJo said, you should really do that. How often do you do that? And I was like, I don't, man. I, you know, I'm preparing, you know, next week. <laughs> so he was like, yeah, he said, you got to stop that. Like go and sit down and figure out an entire year and lay it all the way out. And uh, I went into it, Randy, thinking that I, this is going to be impossible. Sit down and do this. But as soon as I sat down and began to do it, I was amazed at how simple it actually was. Very seldom, very seldom. Now we were we were pretty strict on the preaching schedule at Concord because it was multi-site, and we would have campus pastors preaching on certain Sundays, and uh, we would have I'm going to get to that in just a moment, but we'd have series of messages throughout the year. But we but I would preach through books of the Bible. That's how I roll, right? I try I like to preach through books of the Bible. That's how I grew, so I love preaching that way. It doesn't mean we don't do series because we do. But I would choose, uh, I mean, to give you an example, it took me uh, two and a half years, I think, to preach through the Gospel of Luke, right? So when I planned out the year, I had the series in there, but in, in Luke's Gospel, I would jump in there and look at the, you know, the paragraphs. So Luke 1 through 10, I'm going to preach on that Sunday. Luke you know, 11 through 15, I'm going to preach on that Sunday. And I would just break it down that way for each Sunday. Are you all with me? And then I would come to the series. Once you do that, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, and I'll get to that. But then, all right, so I know you, I don't want to get ahead of you. Like Mother's, you got Mother's Day special. You're getting ahead of me. Go ahead. All right, so that goes to the L in the planning uh, retreat. And that is uh, leverage special series. So when I think of a series of messages, uh, I typically think of them in two major categories. They're a message series designed for our church to invite their unchurched friends and neighbors. And they're a message series designed for our church to be trained for a specific action, which coincides with the mission of the church. Which, by the way, the mission of the church is the same for every church. Yeah. Go make disciples. That's the mission, right? So to help us think through them for just a moment, so I describe them first by uh, saying leverage the waves. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but think of, uh, think of surfing, right? We all surf, none of us surf, but let's, let's pretend we were surfers and you're looking for the large waves to come in. Those are the ones you wanna ride. So in a natural uh, church here, there are typically large waves that come in to almost every single church. And I'll give some of them to you. There's the new year wave. Right, people show back up out of nowhere, and and plus you just had you know two and a half weeks of Christmas, and everybody's traveling all over the place, but they're all coming back, and that usually, uh, sometimes it's the first Sunday in January, sometimes it's the second Sunday in January, so you kind of have to be wise on choosing when to leverage a series and start it on that new wave coming in, right? So the New Year's uh, wave, the Easter wave is another one. And then the back to school wave that shows up, right? Summer's out. Everybody's getting back into there. In summer, don't ever think you're doing bad because you don't have a lot of people there in the summertime, right? That's just, that's not a good way to look at life. You'll go crazy doing that. Reality is they're all traveling. And if you weren't pastoring, you'd be doing the same thing, <laughs> right? You'd be going to it. You wouldn't think two seconds about it. So what you want to do is say, all right, I know August, whatever that date is going to be, everybody's going to be back into their you know, normal routine. So let me kick off a new series to leverage and ride that wave that comes in in August. 
Christmas used to be one. I don't really see Christmas anymore as a wave like it used to be. But anyway. How long did your series That's a great question, and I'm, I'm fixing to get to that as well. Y'all are awesome. I'm glad I put this together. All right, so uh, each of these waves... Yeah, let me, let me read this to you. Each of these waves provide their own momentum within the life of a church family. So this is a time when people come back to church who may not have, or who may have been AWOL or even a time when people are more apt to come to church for the first time. So you can leverage the waves by asking very simple questions. What biblical series can I deliver which can serve as a hook for my church to invite unchurched friends and neighbors? Right, so good, good series that are hooks for unchurched people or family series. Uh, I did a series uh, a couple years ago called This Is Us. I don't know if you remember that. I think it was a CBS show that was real popular. But I just did a series called This Is Us, and I preached on uh, the family. That's what I did. It's a four-week series. I think I did uh, marriage at the first week, and then I did like the dad's role or the parent's role, the kid's role. I just basically went through Ephesians with them on that. Uh, another series idea is not just family, but a marriage series. I did one uh, again a few years ago called Let's Dance. Right? And I did, did that series. Uh, that was fun to say in a Baptist church, by the way. We're going to do a series called Let's, Let's Dance. They're like, what's going on? Yeah. Uh, a parenting series is a good one that kind of hooks unchurched people. Uh, one that I wasn't, I didn't realize would hook unchurched people, but it did. It was a series on emotions. And I preached a series called The War Within, Overcoming Debilitating Emotions. So I talked about anxiety and worry. I talked about jealousy uh, and envy. I talked about anger. It's just crazy, right? Literally, I got up and preached on anger, and I thought, I hope this goes over well. And uh, yeah, I had more people talk about that than anything. So I was like, apparently, a lot of people have anger issues. So Easter uh, series... Uh, kind of what I encourage you, either use a series prior to Easter to build into the Easter day. And that Easter series is really designed to encourage your church to invite people on Easter Sunday. Uh, I did a series one time called If God is Good. Right? And then I did If God is Good, Why Natural Disasters? If God is Good, Why, uh, why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Y'all know all those things, right? If God is Good. And that was leading up to Easter Sunday. And that was a ton of fun there. Um, or you either uh, begin a series on Easter and push it out. So the first time visitors show up and you start a brand new series and you encourage them to join you the following weekend because the second part or whatever it is is going to be happening the next week. So your answer series uh, can be, for me, uh, two to four weeks. A lot of guys are six to eight. I like two to four. Uh, I can't decide if it's because uh, people's attention span is really short or if it's because my attention span yeah, is really yeah. short. You know what I, mean? I get tired of them after about two or three weeks. I'm tired of them. Yeah, so. two or four weeks is me. So how, how many weeks prior to uh, you begin to talk about it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, if it is... I'll give you an example. If it's August and we're going to start a family series in August for back to school, you know what I mean? Because I'm going to try to ride that way. Uh, probably six weeks in advance, I'm already dropping that. Yeah, in the worship center. Hey guys, this July, which for us, you know, this is probably more information you want, but for July, I, I, 
my first couple of years at Concord, I got so frustrated in July because the attendance was horrible. And uh, you know how that will mess your psyche up, right? But anyway, so uh, I started looking, okay, attendance is horrible. Who is here? That was kind of my question, right? And then I realized the people who were there were really some of our core key leaders. So then I sat back and, and asked the question, uh, what can we do to leverage the people in the room to really invest in them in July in preparation for the new, the new wave coming in? And so I literally would preach, I mean, we, you know, it was always considered the July series, but I would preach a, a series specifically on having a missionary mentality. I would preach a series on the mission of our church. I would talk about worship, reach, grow, and serve, like I just did a minute ago. Uh, no sweat discipleship. I taught that in the month of July at our church. It was all about investing in the people who were there, who were the key leaders. But uh, does that help you? That's yeah. that more info. And it doesn't necessarily, there's no rhyme or reason to, you know, five or six weeks out, except um, if you're going ahead and putting that on people's hearts. So I may, I may stay up at the front of July. Let's pretend y'all are our church, right? And I would say, hey guys, we're, we're in a series right now, but in August, we're going to do a series on the family called, you know, uh, This Is Us. Now, the reason for that series is not just for you, right? The reason for that series is people who are unchurched. So I want you already to begin praying about those who are unchurched and you go ahead and get prepared to invite them to join us for that series. And then we would provide like invite cards and, you know, social media stuff, all that kind of jazz. We put, not everybody needs to do this, but we would put, uh, we were a small town, by the way. I don't know if y'all know where Claremont is. <laughs> yeah. So it's crazy, right? What was crazy is uh, like uh, the, the population of Claremont, is, it, it's gone down since I've been there. It's now 560-something people. You with me? So on Sunday, like Concord tripled the population of Claremont. It's nuts. But we would put a big billboard up on 129. That was the main little thoroughfare. And if you weren't driving to Concord, you weren't going by Concord. Because Concord is off of the main drag. So, and you can't even see it. So it was something we had to do. We had to just like, let's put something out there on the main drag that encourages people. But really and truly, although we had the billboards and some signage and whatnot, our very best publicity came from our people. And, it, and your people are your best publicity. But you've got to equip them to be good at it. Right? That's the thing. So I, it, we had a Mexican restaurant not far from us. You'd be shocked what people let you do. I got to know the owner, and, uh, and I ended up saying to him, I said, hey, man, do you mind if I got some uh, little stands to go on every single table in this restaurant? and put a card in there that invites people to Concord? Yeah, you can definitely do that. So every series that I was preaching, we would go in there and there'd be cards in there. We'd say, this is us, message series for August at Concord, you're invited. People will let you do stuff, man, if you just ask. And you get to know them. I would have the wave things, like family thing, into, you broke up your preaching through the gospel. That's right. That's right. Yeah, because I did um, uh, Second Corinthians. I wish I'd have brought y'all a copy because once I kind of have the legal sheet all worked out when the series are going to fall in and all the breakdown of the scriptures, uh, you can see it clearly. I mean, Second Corinthians, I just got an outline. You know what I mean? Yes, sir. And when you preach that Sunday morning and Sunday night, or you just... So I, I would answer you in this. Uh, I did do that, but it was a different crowd. So we did three services in on Sunday morning, and then I did a bilingual service on Sunday night. 
we didn't have traditional Sunday night worship, right? So if you're looking at a.m. and p.m., uh, before we uh, kind of repurposed our Sunday night, that's what I was doing, I, whatever I was preaching. And so if I was in Luke 1, 1 through 10 on Sunday morning, that night I'd be 11 through 15. I'd just carry it right through. Now, if I'm doing a series that's primarily uh, designed to encourage unchurched people to come, I wouldn't do it on Sunday night. I would just preach it on Sunday morning, and I would just continue the Luke series, so to speak, as an example, on Sunday evening. Does that make sense? That's a great question, though. Um, I'm sorry? When you were promoting six weeks out, did you already have all two whole messages ready in that Uh Not necessarily written completely, right? But I had the main ideas written down. And I'm a manuscript guy. But I would, I would do, I would be two weeks ahead with my manuscript, right? So whatever I'm preaching uh, this Sunday, uh, I actually wrote the Monday prior. And I, I'm going to get into that in just a minute too, right? But I would have the general idea of, of what I'm preaching on, right? And, and I will tell you, when you plan out your whole year, I'm fixing to tell you that in a minute. <laughs> Uh, leverage equipping. So I think I've already said that. There are times in a church life when you know that guests will not be as high. So I told you about my July uh, idea. So maybe that could be something. Maybe June's yours. Maybe July. We didn't do June because June was kind of our... That's when our kids went to summer camp. That's when we did vacation Bible school. That's when a lot of mission trips took place. So they were not necessarily in the building on Sunday morning because they were on mission. So I was like, I don't want to do something in June because there's so many people going so many different directions. So we chose July. Uh, I also encourage do evangelism series. So when I'm looking at the full year, I'm not only saying, you know, I may do a, a marriage series in August, but in January I may do a series, which I think I actually did this. It was called Our Story, His Story. And all I did was preach on how to use your story to share the gospel. And it was a four-week deal. It was a ton of fun. But and what's neat about that, when you're training your missionaries in the church on how to share the gospel, you're simultaneously sharing the gospel to everybody who's in there. Right? So we would see people come to know the Lord in those services, but it was because... I'll give you another example. Right? So I, I preached a series one time on how to share the gospel using one verse. And it was going to be a four-week series, one verse. Right? So what I did was I decided I'm going to preach on the major doctrines of salvation at the intro of the message, uh, about 15 minutes long. And then I'm going to go to a huge whiteboard with the verse on it, and I'm going to preach the exact same thing, how to share the gospel using this one verse. I'm going to do it for four weeks in a row. Seems crazy, right? So it did to me. I would preach on justification. It'd take about 15 minutes to do that. It's like, all right, now that we've got this idea uh, that we've been made righteous because of Christ, let's get back to our, and I would go straight over to the board, and all of them would have in their hands a little uh, business card size that would actually have that one verse in it. And it wasn't completely filled out. So as I walked through it on the board, they would fill it out. And then the challenge is, now every single one of you have got the one verse in your hand. So this week, your challenge is to share that with somebody. So then they come back the next week and I'll be like, all right, we're doing this one verse evangelism. So last week we talked about justification. Today I want to talk about adoption. And I would preach on that for 15 minutes. Biblical text, I'd give up what adoption is. And then I would go right back to that board. Y'all remember this? And I would do that, and, and they would fill out another one. 
I'd be like, all right, this week, you know, third week, I preached on sanctification. Fourth week, I preached on glorification, which, by the way, was my favorite one. Uh, out of, I learned so much studying that. But at the end, I, I went straight back. Now, you do that because I was preaching, you know, three messages on Sunday morning. That's a lot of times going through that one verse method, right? But don't be, um, I love what Peter writes. Peter writes in 2 Peter, he's like, I've already told you this once, but I'm okay to share it with you again. That's like, I wrote, I've memorized that, right? So even though I've shared this once with y'all, I'm going to share it with you again. I would always, you know, blame Peter when I would do stuff like that, you know what I mean? And jump on it. But don't, don't uh, think that evangelism training just can happen in a small group setting or on a visitation night. Because what, what I did is I was, uh, and I'm not saying I'm right, but what I did was I held an evangelism training. And uh, we had about 15 or 20 people show up for it. And then once I told them we were going out to evangelize the next week, we had about half show up the next week. So I got a little discouraged about that. And then I was in my office and I was like, how can I train the church to do evangelism? I'll do it on Sunday morning. That's when the most people are in the building. They can't go nowhere. You know what I mean? So I just use Sunday morning. And if you showed up at that, in that series, it would be far less preaching and a whole lot more teaching and practicality. Right? And that changes some of your style if you're a you know, you know, preacher preacher. You kind of have to adjust. And it's not changing you. It's just adjusting to how can I best communicate this and equip them to go do work in the ministry, which is what we're called to do. Alright. Uh, I put in here leverage books of the Bible. So, you know, I read the book, go ahead, paragraph the book out, put the paragraphs on Sundays to preach. Uh, and then this is just good. Leveraging your series will allow you to have the margin to think through creative things like slides, uh, videos, stage decorations or props, billboards, posters, invite cards. I will tell you this, right? Y'all remember back, and y'all may still do it, but some people, they would have like a children's ministry time in church. And so all the kids would come forward and there would be an object lesson. Y'all remember this? So don't underestimate what object lessons will do for the entire church. It's amazing. I can preach a whole sermon and, you know, 75% of them be out. Of, they're not even paying attention anymore. But then I pull something up and all of a sudden everybody's in with me. You know what I mean? I'm like, really? This basketball brought y'all in? But anyway, but you're using, I wouldn't have the bandwidth mentally to think about how to creatively do those things if I was just working on Monday for this Sunday. You know what I'm saying? So when you plan your whole year out, it allows you to, to really think through creatively how to communicate some things. Because you've got those things on your mind the whole year, which is huge. Preston, you do work with your thinking. I mean, I know you come off from planning this, but no, when, I got that, you. when you come back, do you sit down and now work through that? So it's, if I understand your question correctly, there were a couple of times, more than a couple, where we would do a series together as campus pastors. So we would, uh, if we had a Christmas series that we were going to do, uh, I would assign uh, this guy's going to work on this message. This guy's going to work on this message. This guy, we're going to come back in and discuss it. And then we would iron out some of the points and the key question in the intro so that it was very plain. And uh, yeah, we would all preach those messages on that Sunday. They would preach on their campus. I would preach. Uh, we did about 40 where we just simulcast. So it was live feed to the other sites. But anyway, is that, is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah, I guess you didn't seem satisfied with that. You're like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess you know, working, working with ministry music, 
work with somebody that may have given you that idea for that object? Yes, what so not necessarily the idea uh, or the object, but um, yeah, there were times when they, they knew I was going on a planning retreat. And so I would get them in the, you know, some of the key staff guys in the room and say, hey, man, I'm going to you know, go away and do this. Is there anything that you guys think that our church just really needs right now? And uh, I would jot those things down, and those would become, you know, considerations when I was on that planning retreat. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember if I've ever asked for, you know, um, for help on that. Uh, as far as like object lessons, usually objects. Le I don't use them every sermon. I'm using one this afternoon, by the way, but I don't use them every message. But sometimes they'll just, as I'm working through it, uh, and I'm studying a particular word or whatever, doing the word study, like an object will come to my mind. And I'm like, that'd be great. I'll use that. You know? I taught on the end times, so I'm a dispensationalist. Just let y'all know. But uh, I, I did a series called "The King Is Coming," right? And uh, I'm doing this because I knew. If I was going to preach it, they, was going to, they were going to have to see it or they wouldn't remember it. So I did a redneck timeline is what I called it. I actually had, y'all know in, in stores you got the clothing, uh, hanger, rack deals that look like, kind of like this. So that was my timeline. I had that up there. And then for every um, event, major event, uh, eschatologically, I would put an object up there. And I was just building on that redneck timeline the entire time. That's literally what I call it. It's like, all right, back to our redneck timeline, right? And I actually had, you know, a stuffed uh, white stallion to talk about the second coming of Jesus. And I would just hang that up there, right? The Mary's Supper of the Lamb, I had like some goblet, you know, that I ended up hanging up there. But all of that was just... And, you know, sometimes, man, when you're teaching stuff like that, they need something to see, yeah. right? And so that was just hugely beneficial. That was a lot of fun too to build that redneck timeline every single time. You know, what I mean? here's the rapture and you know, second coming. Anyway, all right. All right, the A for plan. I got to hustle up here. Is acquire resources. So once you have your yearly schedule laid out, what resources do you need? Uh, two major categories here as well: reading material. Go ahead and get your commentaries, uh, books. So if I'm preaching on marriage, I want to have at least a couple of marriage books I can read in preparation. Uh, websites, articles, all that reading material is huge. And then I encourage people to listen. Listen. I mean, we, we have the opportunity now. There are sermons on top uh, on your topic via podcast, YouTube, and other new media. Audible resources are huge as well. If you're cruising in your vehicle and not listening to something, you're missing a great opportunity just to grow personally. You know what I mean? So I love listening to things. Books on Audible. Uh, your reading and listening will coincide with your message preparation. So take good notes and file for future study and reference. Uh, and then the end, which is the very last thing, that is uh, nail down your study habits. Nail down your study habits. All communicators of the Word should follow a form or process that enables them to accomplish the task of sermon preparation in a timely fashion. A pastor should never subject his fellowship to Saturday night specials. Y'all you know what I'm talking about, Saturday night yes. special? That's when you've been running all week long, you hadn't got anything together. You're not doing you're, you're not doing yeah, you're not doing your church any favors by doing that. Your primary role, I mean the primary role of a pastor is to lead and to feed. Right? So when, when Sunday morning rolls around, that's feeding time. I need to have prepared something for them to eat. So you want to get very uh, dogmatic about determining your progress, blocking out your time, and then protecting your time. 
Chuck Swindoll, y'all heard of him, right? Here's his process. I thought it was interesting. It was in the book he wrote on communication. I can't remember what the title of the book is, but here's what he said. He said, on Monday, I read the text out loud. I'm trying to discover the need of the original audience. On Tuesday, uh, I observe the original languages, encyclopedias, dictionaries, history references, atlases, and commentaries. On Wednesday, I write a completed outline for the worship folder, a clear introduction with a 15-word first sentence. Have y'all ever heard what he does? So the intro of his sermons are a 15-word sentence, which is basically the entire sermon in 15 words. I take some time. I tried it once. I was like, I give up on that. Thursday, he further digs and uh, looks for insight to make each point clearer for his audience. Friday, he does a mental review of the message. He lets it steep, he says. Saturday, he makes the uh, passage in the sermon a matter of prayer most of the day. And he sits alone and he reads his notes. And then Sunday, he says, I'm up early. I take a look at notes and make some adjustments. I just thought that was interesting how, how laid out his schedule was. So when I started looking at this and uh, my process, and I'm not by any stretch saying this should be yours, but all day Monday, all I did on Monday was, was write a sermon. That's all I did. I told the church that's what I did. So they know Monday, unless somebody's dead, don't holler at me. You know what I mean? So Monday was like off limits. If you have a ministry assistant, you want to tell your ministry assistant Mondays all, or whatever that time block is, that's off limits. Unless just an unbelievable emergency. I mean, if Miss Sally breaks her big toe, that's not an emergency. You know what I mean? Don't, don't mess with me about that stuff. So what I do is I begin reading the text and note the context and the initial reason for what was being written to that audience. You know, why did Peter write this to that audience? What was going on with that audience? What drove him to write that? Why was that so important at that time? I do a complete word study of the text and often rewrite my own paraphrase. Uh, word study of the text, if you don't have Logos, man, that's, that makes it super easy. Logos is a, you know, a, what do you call it, a software program or whatever that actually does an exegetical layout of the text. So I can click on that word proclaim and it will lay out what it means in the original language, has a, how it was used in other passages of Scripture, um, all kind of more information than you know what to do with it. What are you going to say, something? I, I word, word search is another one. That's right. But a word study uh, of it, I read other translations. Uh, I preach from the New American Standard, but I'll have, you know, KJV in front of me, New, New Living Translation. Uh, I mean, you name it. There's a whole swath of them. I'm reading through, kind of grabbing all of those. I read Eugene Peterson's paraphrase. I don't preach from it, but I'll read it. I outline the text after I have all of that together. There's a whole bunch of material. But then I outline the text seeking to find a key question uh, that the text is seeking to answer. So once I outline it, I'll go ahead and tell y'all, just because this happening this afternoon, it's on my mind. Um, this afternoon, no, I won't tell you that because y'all won't come. So I'll tell you <laughs> tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, uh, I'm preaching on the great white throne judgment. Right? I just finished the series, but I'm going to that one as kind of the final message for that. Uh, so... The key question on that, which this isn't very creative, but the key question is, what does uh, John teach us about the great white throne judgment? Because really that's what he's writing about, right? So easy question. So I'm driving the introduction to get to that specific question. Now that question is asked in the introduction. So all of my points answer that question. Are you with me? 
So when you create the question in the introduction, or at least when I, it's in my mind, this is how it works. When I create the question in the introduction, uh, the people who are listening now want to know the answer to the question, right? So I'll tell you, today is how do we uh, get back ownership as Georgia Baptist of the Great Commission? That's the key question. Now, I'm building into the introduction this idea that ownership of the Great Commission, not the Great Commission itself, but ownership, actually doing it, has been stolen from the church by the enemy. So how do we get that back? Well, here's what Peter was writing, right? So now just bridge it back to the text. Here's what Peter wrote to those who were scattered all over the place, who were in danger of having ownership of the Great Commission stolen from them. And here's what he told them. And the points that I preach today will answer that question, how do we get it back? It's been stolen, here's how you get it back. Does that make sense? So I'm kind of playing Jeopardy in my time alone with the Lord in preparation for a message. But that key question is huge. If you don't have something in the introduction that, that makes people want to know that answer, uh, I have discovered you lose them. Yeah. I don't know if y'all noticed, even today, I was like, y'all saw my two questions. How do you preach with purpose? How, you know, how do you preach with power? Like, I'm giving you a question, now y'all want to know the answer. You see what I'm saying? So that's always huge, huge for me. Um, once the key question is discovered, I write the introduction trying to explain why everybody needs to listen. And then I restate the key points to be applicational to the audience. Uh, uh, statements like, we need to, or we should, or I need to, or I must. And I'll, I'll tell you who helped me with that was Patrick Latham. He's a pastor over at First Baptist Lawton, Oklahoma. So he and I regularly listen to each other preach, and then we critique each other. That's really encouraging, right? It's like, I don't know what you were even trying to say, Patrick. That was horrible. I'm just kidding. But anyway, we, we talked to each other, and uh, the points that I had in the message weren't applicational points. So he said to me, when you get your points, go back and, and restate them to be application-based. So I started doing that, and it made a world of difference just in delivering the message. Y'all with me? All right. I work through the explanation of the text. I add illustrations, application for the body. Um, once the writing is complete, I put a conclusion on it. Uh, something that I try to do, not all the time, but oftentimes at the very end of the message, I'll, I'll throw out questions that align with the key points that were made to make people ask themselves. Right? So here's a question you need to ask yourself. And then I'll give them a question. And then I'll let it sit for just a second. Y'all with me? And that's huge too. You ask a question, let it sit for a second. I learned that from Patrick too. Because I used to ask questions. He's like, you're not even giving me time to think about it. <laughs> right? My wife told me that once too. I told her, hush. I didn't know. I'm just kidding. I didn't do it. All right, so y'all kind of see uh, the picture. By Monday, end of the day Monday, the manuscript's complete, six or seven pages long, typically that's how, and I just outline it. You know, Roman numeral number one is my introduction, A, B, C. Number two is actually point number one. Number three is actually point number two. Number four is conclusion. Do I preach? Uh, 35, maybe 40 sometimes, you know? What do you want this afternoon? I feel like that's what you're driving at. You want 20 minutes? No, 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 no. I'm just, you know, everybody has a different No, and they, they do. You know, I... Um, do you have a target that you would like to 
lot. Yes, I'm usually, I, I, when I'm riding it, I'm thinking 30 minutes. It That's typically right. ends up taking a little longer. Some guys are like, I don't want to preach over 20 minutes. And I'm like, I can't even set the rig up in 20 minutes, man. You know what I mean? So, anyway. All right, guys, I don't know if that's our time, but as far as I'm concerned, I think it is. It's 12 o'clock. Y'all are awesome. Thank y'all.